Have you ever plugged something in and blew a breaker, or in the old days, blew a fuse? How about, did you ever start filling the bathtub, a sink or a bucket, and then go off to do something and forget to turn the water off? Or how about has your computer ever told you that your hard drive was full, or your memory, you are out of it? Kayla introduced me to a new word. Actually, it's two words. Allostatic load. Now, this refers to the cumulative burden of chronic stress and events on your life. Well, and on mine, too. Your allostatic load is everything you are still processing, working on, or even suffering through. It's like a giant checklist. Once you take care of something, not just put it in the drawer and pretend you took care of it, but actually resolved it, then it gets removed from your list. Until then, it places an additional load on your emotions, your health, your ability to think, and especially your sleep. Even if you say you aren't thinking about these things, or you tell people, they don't bother me, you might be able to convince your friends, but your mind and your soul, and especially your body, they know better. When you reach the limit of your given ability to handle things, an allostatic overload occurs, and you shut down. Oh, might be a partial shutdown, might be a complete shutdown. Now, you were already an expert on allostatic overload. The moment you couldn't remember somebody's name, when you found yourself staring into space, when you just couldn't force yourself to do something even though you knew it needed to be done. You probably just didn't know what the official name was, but you certainly understood what it felt like. Jesus is out for a walk with his disciples. He notices that they have distanced themselves from him, walking much further ahead, and they're having some sort of an intense discussion so he says, so what were you talking about? Now they're a little embarrassed because they were actually talking about who was the greatest among them. Have you ever got into one of those discussions? I was listening to a few of them last week in the narthex as people were talking about their football team and why they were the best. Uh, the news is full of arguments over who is actually in charge of our country and state. And each different group, by the way, always claims they know better than everybody else and we should put them in charge. In other words, the disciples, they're just like the rest of us. And Jesus speaks to all of them, and he speaks to all of us when he says, If anyone wants to be first, he or she must be last and servant of all. Now talk about a party pooper. I mean, doesn't Jesus know that somebody has to be in charge? And this whole servant of all thing is pretty drastic. I mean, whenever there is a leadership vacuum, who knows what's going to get sucked in? Quick change up. What is a song lyric you've either sung wrong or heard somebody else sing wrong? They're called Mondegreens. Even back when I had good hearing, the number of times that I wasn't sure what the lyric said, and uh, so I just decided that's what it is. And then later somebody would come along and say, you know it's not there's a bathroom on the right, that it's actually there's a bad moon on the rise, right? Or how about the songs by, you know, like Blinded by the Light and Purple Haze? Yeah, both of those get misheard a lot. Then it gets more serious. There is no such thing as calling birds, as in four calling birds, you know, that Christmas song. It's actually collie birds, C-O-L-L-I-E, as in blackbirds. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that you can think of a couple other dozen Mondegreens. Changes all those Christmas songs forever, especially the one about jingle bells and Batman smells. Mondegreens happen because our brains are trying to fill in the blanks based upon what they think it's going to be said before it actually gets said. Your brain is always thinking ahead. We take everything we know and like a giant chess game, we're trying to think several steps ahead because that relieves the stress when we finally get there. Now we take everything we know 
but once in a while we get it wrong. And it doesn't just mess up that one thing. Our whole brain goes on overload and we come to a screeching halt while we process what went wrong. And so now not only do we have to process what we thought was wrong, now we got to process everything else because it was all affected. Now, it's one thing when it's Jimi Hendrix, Bruce Springsteen, or Creedence Clearwater Revival. It's something very different when it's the Word of God. We hear what Jesus or a prophet said, kind of like, you got to be servant of all. We slide it into our context and add all the information that applies like previous sermons, classes we took, old movies, and something we remember little Susie said all the way back in the first grade. And we decide then what it all means. By the way, all of this happens in a microsecond. Ever wonder how someone could hear the same thing that you did and come up with something very, very different? Mondegreens. And it's never as simple as saying, you know, you should really listen or hear that again. You should really look at that again. Because just like us, they're probably going to hear what they heard the first time. Now, lest we think Jesus telling us to become servants of all is a mondegreen, something we just misunderstood. He was actually saying, you guys should be king overall, not servant of all. We go to the next chapter of Mark's Gospel where he says, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, they dominate people. But it must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for the many. First time could be a mondegreen. But when it happens several times, and Matthew, Mark, and John all heard the same things. And by the way, when Luke interviewed everybody, they also heard the same thing. There's probably something to this whole servant of all thing. St. Augustine, way back in, well, a long, long time ago, this was a prayer that he prayed. Lord, you are the light of the minds who know you, the life of the souls who love you, and the strength of the souls who serve you. Help us to know you, that we may learn to truly love you, and so to love you, that we may fully serve you in those and in whose service is perfect freedom. Amen. I'm going to give you a second to let that sink in. In whose service is perfect freedom. You know, the truth is we all serve someone or something. There is no getting around it. Clocks, calendars, health, money, parents, bosses, anxiety, guilt, power. Even those who the world considers to be the best of the best at something. They're also serving something. And by the way, if you doubt it, the moment they stop serving whatever it is, or the moment whatever it is stops serving them, they come crashing down to earth. I'll let you fill in the names, but this last week, the one that came to mind was Evander Holyfield. To serve in perfect freedom sounds like an oxymoron, a par paradox, but only when we try to understand it by applying the world's understanding of it. You see, every time someone starts screaming freedom, unless it's Mel Gibson in the movie Braveheart, I listen very, very carefully so I don't get a mondegreen. You see, most people think freedom means that you can do anything you want, anytime you want, any way you want, which actually begs the question, what is it that you want? For many people who don't believe in God, freedom is about dying with the most toys, having done the most things, taking care of number one, which, by the way, means them, and never denying themselves anything. You see, even if someone else had to pay the bill for it, they say it was all worth it because it was all about them enjoying this life. For many of us who do believe in God, freedom remains a mystery because there are no simple rules or checklists to follow. It's about something far harder to understand because it's about love, which in and of itself is perhaps the greatest mondegreen of all. 
completely and totally misunderstood by everyone who hears it. Mark's Gospel was written just before or just after the Romans destroyed Jerusalem and the Temple in 70 AD. Starting in 66 AD, there was a Jewish revolt against Rome, and it succeeded, at least for a couple of years. They drove the Roman army out of Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. But Emperor Nero sent back a bigger army, and they surrounded the city. Now, the general who was in charge was very smart. It was the Passover feast. And so he lined the road and he let all of the pilgrims go into the city. Literally hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands and thousands of them. He just waved at them and said, go on in, enjoy the Passover feast. And then when everybody was in, he locked the doors and he wouldn't let any of them out. Didn't take long before water and food became very short. And that's when General Titus attacked, leveling the city, the temple and killing most just about everybody. By the way, this was all prophesied by Jesus back in about 32 AD. Now the Jews were once again without their temple, which was the center of their faith. Christians who had been told by Jesus 35 years earlier to go and make disciples of all nations had pretty much stopped going at Jerusalem's walls. Both groups are now overwhelmed. They had reached an allostatic overload while they tried to process, now what are we gonna do? Mark's Gospel leaves out the birth narrative and a lot of the traditional Jesus miracles. His favorite word is immediately. Immediately Jesus went here. Immediately Jesus did that. With Rome on a rampage, hunting down both Jew and Christian, Mark wanted to remind the followers of Jesus who they were and what they had been entrusted with. Neither of which, by the way, required a holy city or a temple. All they needed was Jesus, and they still had him. Now, Jesus' life and promises of hope gave people something to hang on to during these confusing and terrifying times. Properly read and heard, Jesus told his people, you don't need to worry about what happens when you die because heaven is waiting for you. You don't need to worry about earning your way into heaven because I already took care of that. I covered it through the cross. You don't need to worry about what God thinks of you. He sent me down here to tell you how much he loves you because he wants to spend eternity with you. As to all the other things in life, if you have any doubt, just look at it through the eyes of love. Love one another the way that I loved you. Does that make sense? I mean, Jesus says, I checked off a bunch of the things on your list, so you can stop worrying about all those things. That should allow you to reset your allostatic breaker or replace the fuse and get back to your life. See, the only way for us to start living again is to clear a whole bunch of the stuff out of our life. Now, the author of the book of Hebrews gives us a clue how we can go about this. He said, let us draw near, and I'm going to remind you, this is to God, with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works. By the way, this is where I love to go back to the King James Version because it doesn't say promote good works. It actually says provoke one another to love. I love that. Can you imagine if kids on the playground were saying, I dare you to love your enemy? Or if all those social media folks were to say, I challenge you to pray for those who persecute you. Or if we were to dare one another to find a way to tell those who we know that we're angry with people who betrayed us, the people who failed us, that we still love them because of Jesus. In times like these, and which by the way in reality are all times, we tend to want faith and hope to get us through. We need faith 
in those who are leading. We, we need hope that someday things actually are going to get better. But St. Paul pushes us a little further in 1 Corinthians 13 when he says, And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Faith and hope, they're about us. About us feeling better. About us trusting more. About us and all the things we're going through. But as those things fade or are trampled on or taken away from us, we go into an allostatic overload. Because without faith and hope, we're lost. Now something Paul knew was that faith and hope are more passive. We have faith and we have hope, but they are more like holding on to hanging on, just holding on to a rope while repeating, don't let go, don't let go, don't let go. Love isn't passive. It's active. At least real love is active. That's why Jesus says, I have to go to Jerusalem where they're going to beat me and whip me and kill me. But on the third day, I'm going to rise again. Jesus doesn't say, I have faith in you. I really have hope for you. I think it's all going to work out. At least I hope it's all going to work out. No. You're going to figure out this whole life and death thing. You see, he knows better. He knows that we can't figure it out on our own. And even if we could figure it out, we're not going to be able to do what needs to be done. And so love leads him to act. To sacrifice himself so that we can live. Love doesn't just hang on. It claws and grasps and looks for a way to live, not only for itself, but for others as well. It doesn't just say, don't let go. It screams, I will not let go. I'm not going to let go. And by the way, I'm going to hold on to everybody else, including my enemies, because nobody should have to be lost forever. But love is only able to do such a thing because it knows a very important truth. St. John put it this way in one of his epistles. We're able to love because God first loved us. Now, I love to attach this to St. Paul's verse in Philippians 3, where he says, I make every effort to take hold of it because I have also been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. You see, true love, gospel love, is simply embracing that which has already embraced us. God's love has so wrapped its arms around us and is holding us so tightly and not letting us go that it gives us the ability to breathe deeply, to take things off our checklist, and to come back from that allostatic overload. It's like when you were two or three years old and you fell asleep on the couch or in the car or somewhere and your mom or your dad picked you up. There's this automatic reaction where you just kind of drape your arms around whoever's holding you. But you're not really holding them. They're holding you. Hold on to your faith and your hope. Let them give you enough space to take a deep breath and see beyond all the things that are on your list and the worries and the failures that are trying to cloud your thinking. And as you take a deep breath, pull out that long list of things that is keeping you on the verge of an allostatic overload. Remove the things that Jesus has already taken care of. If, if Jesus took care of them, you don't need to worry about them anymore. They're done. Don't just stick them in a drawer and pretend they're taken care of. Really let them go. Then step forward in love and begin checking off a few more of those things. Feel the weight and the burden being lifted. You see, the one thing the Bible is very clear about, when we love, the only freedom that true love will deny us is to f the freedom to hurt ourselves or to hurt someone else. That is not love. But love says you can sacrifice. Love says step forward in faith. Love says, you see your brother over there? God doesn't need your good works, but he does. She does. Take who you are who God has created you to be, and love one another the way that he loves us. You see, God doesn't want you overloaded with guilt, failure, or a long list of things you think you need to do, but in reality are just busy work because Jesus already took care of them. 
To serve one another, really serve one another, is to love at the highest level. It allows us to realize if I'm serving you and you are serving me and together we're serving one another and the world around us, then we're all using our uniqueness, which means that we're serving to our strengths, not our weaknesses. That is what it means to be a community of faith, working side by side to accomplish the things that need to be done. Each one and each person, an integral part, but each one serving according to who they are. And when that happens, serving isn't a duty, it's a joy. And the allostatic load meter is kept down near zero. And Mondegreens, Mondegreens are kept at a minimum because we know that Jesus, his word and his spirit are working in and through us. They're the ones translating, which leads us to step forward in faith, hope, and especially love. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.